The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello and welcome, heroes, to Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I am your guest, Brandon. I'm your other guest, Ian. I've got two guests today. I'm so excited. Dang right. I just can't hide it. Because you're popular. That's true. I'm popular. No? Anybody? Wicked. Yes! You just got like 20 cool points. Oh, fuck you. And you just lost five. <laughs> Only five? <laughs> well, for now. Well, that podcast is just getting started. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D games. That's true. <laughs> We'd like to take a moment to... Uh, Thank our fellowship member, Goblin Stone. Thanks to Goblin Stone, all of Crit Nation has a wonderful chance to win a prize each and every single week. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based on the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn in your ideas to high-quality products. <laughs> <laughs> And give every fan a chance to get published. Quality. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to head on over to goblinstone.com or criticademy.com and check them out. Click the link. This week's winner is Norman Avery. Woohoo! Congratulations, Norman Avery. Head on over to Goblinstone and let them know what you think. Leave, hopefully leave them a five-star review. <laughs> I have the giggles. <laughs> Done. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Thanks for joining us here today at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like a puzzle without a solution. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Before we move on to Let's Talk About Blank, we'd like to hear about a little bit what's going on in the realm, where we talk a little bit about what's going on in our lives. Ian? What's going on in your life, in your realm? Well, last week I had the week off of work, which is awesome. Yeah, you were really excited about it in the last episode you talked in. Yeah. But what can I say? Sat down, watch movies, play video games. Can't got, complain. Got a massage. Got a massage. So you got, I was kind of jealous. I haven't been to one in a while. Worth it. What about you, uh, Brandon? What's going on in your realm? Well, uh, let's see. I've been working for a week. Yeah, no vacation <laughs> for our us. Oh, we got the July thing coming up, so that's going to be cool. What July thing? Listeners have no idea what you're talking about, bro. That's right, because they're all over the world. July 4th, Independence Day. Okay, what are you doing? Are you doing anything special for Independence Day? Eh, it's going up north. What you doing up north? Camping. I'm going to go up there. We're going to do fishing and stuff, 
then we're going to let off fireworks. What better way to celebrate your freedom by blowing a part of it up? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Oh, and uh, we found out my baby's going to be a boy. Woo, that's exciting. Another boy. Yeah, another boy. Sad face. <laughs> I want to be a daddy. Get on it. It's a prereq for that. She's been on it, and it's... As long as she's popping Skittles, that ain't going to work. Well, you know, you could actually put real Skittles in them. Yeah, I've considered that. <laughs> I, told her, I, I, told, I told her that. I said, after 10 years, if we don't have one, you're going to be eating Skittles. That's where they got to replace them with Pez. You won't know the difference. <laughs> So what's going on with your sad life right now? Not a whole lot. Uh, keeping myself busy. Had a lot of chores this past uh, week. Um, we hit some new show records. We had you know 1,000 downloads in a single day. That's really exciting for us. So thank you guys for being a part of this wonderful and amazing adventure. How many downloads you got this month? Uh, this month alone, we're at about 12,000. 12,000. For the month of June. That's hey, pretty what? good. If you pop 20,000 in July... I will draw you a header for your website. You'll draw me a header for my website? Yes. That sounds interesting. Wait, what kind of head are you talking about? Because I know your drawings. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, saying. A header on, on the website. The, the back background photos, stuff like that. Okay, but not like somebody's head. tiny head. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, not a penis. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really exciting. Um, I really have... Uh, I've really been uh, I've been listening a lot to another podcast called Inner Poverty Conflict. Uh, I talked about it briefly last uh, episode with uh, Luke. This Inner Poverty Conflict guys, Gabe and Jeff, they're freaking awesome. Um, I <laughs> it's funny their discussions are all about answering questions, like our, our talk. Let's talk about blank segment. But every time I listen to them, I'm either a yelling at myself saying no i don't agree or like oh my god that's clever i never thought about yes you're 100 percent right so it, it it's really interesting because you know different experiences lead to different um uh different per- perceptions of rules and interpretations which is which is you know what dnt is about but um they've definitely probably it seems like they've been playing longer than us but or longer than me anyway but um yeah i didn't start till, till i started college so yeah <laughs> Yeah, for me, I started around. Uh, I played three five, but I didn't like it. And I played Pathfinder, I didn't like it. A lot of bookkeeping. Yeah, and then fourth edition came out, and I liked it, and that's really where I started really playing. But even then, I was playing maybe once every couple of months. And I'll admit, fourth edition is where I started too, and I had a pretty good group to start with, so yeah. I can't complain. Yeah. And honestly, a good group and a good DM is just as important, if yeah. not more important than anything else. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I started with three point five and. I couldn't get into it because I'm bad at math. <laughs> so <laughs> fair enough. At least you're honest about it. Yeah, um, I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah, but they clearly have a lot of experience. They do. They uh, do something similar to what we do with our unearthed tips and tricks about the magic. But they've got. They call it uh, the into the, the dragon's horde. And uh, man, Gabe is great having having a segue that leads into it. He like has Jeff roll a die and then describes how he stumbles in stumbles into it. Like the one I just listened to. He like tries to cast teleport and ends up in the wrong location <laughs> and ends up inside the this dragon's horde so it's uh it's very cool um for all you listeners if you look at if you like the open discussions on questions and rules uh make sure to listen to them and their magic items are super fun 
They, the ones they get are very utility based. Like the one I was listening to, I think it was yesterday. They were talking about a cloak that sound talks, uh, a cloak that of invisibility basically and protection. But it talks. But it, the problem is, it sounds like Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> <laughs> and and it, they can't control it. And so I guess some, they use rolls to determine whether he's going to burst out, start talking while you're stealthing. You know. So I was cracking up while yeah. I was listening. I was you want to stay hidden, okay, day? <laughs> So uh, I, I had a friend of mine actually, where he found the group actually found a sentient sword. Oh, very cool! But here's the thing: they they kept it around because it, it had very high bonuses. Mm-hmm. But the thing was chaotic evil, <laughs> <laughs> and it could imitate voices. Oh, that's horrible! Hey, hey, you see that kid over there? Yeah, go kill him. <laughs> Do it. Actually, the main problem was ultimately when they were in the bar. These or would imitate the voice of whoever was wielding it and yell the biggest guy in the room. Oh no, that would be such a headache. But if given to the right person, could be fun. <laughs> yeah. But but the only other reason why they kept around too was they actually gave good advice during combat. You know what? That could be worth it. <laughs> you don't hit with the flat on you, dingus. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, so I've been listening. That's actually what a lot of my time at work when I'm when I'm working on the computer or whatever. I'm listening to their podcast. I really love it. Swing on over and check them out at uh, interpartyconflict.com. No spaces or anything like that. So. So that is in the realm. Um, that kind of leads into our our next segment, which is let's talk about blank. And this section is brought to you by caffeine. Keeps you up, keeps you going all night. <laughs> <laughs> so the games don't stop. So uh, our question today uh, comes from uh, Facebook from uh, Michael. If one of your players found a dragon egg, what would you have them do to hatch it and then take care of a baby dragon? Or would you not allow this? Well, my question is, what kind of dragon is it? <laughs> We don't know that. So let's just assume for the sake of argument that it's not an evil killing machine. Well, well, actually, you know what? Uh, no, that, no that, that's a legit question. No, because okay. I can say being a, a rather gold dragon, you have to keep it in the campfire. But if it's like an ice dragon, well, you got to go to the frozen north. Okay, so you're going. not talking about like an alignment. You're talking like what type of dragon. Yeah. So let's go off that first. So you're right. We would It would determine what type of dragon it is, right? So in this case, if it's a red or, or a gold baby dragon... Having it over a campfire every night might be a good start. Though I feel like that would turn it into an omelet. But it's a fire dragon. So it should be okay? If not, why well, you have breakfast? They're fire uh, dragons. I mean, I think I can relate to it because it's happened to me. You've had a dragon egg? Yes. Oh, yeah, in one of our... Yeah, we were doing Horde but, of the Dragon Queen. I remember that. And You stole one of the they eggs. Were, they were guarding uh, black dragon eggs, and I took one. <laughs> Yes. Amber's character was uh, uh, lawful good. Okay. And it was a black dragon egg. Well, Baby doesn't have any sort of alignment. Her her character says, it's black. It's a black egg. It's going to be evil. So what did you do? Make you destroy it? You racist D-bag. I I know, right? (laughs) uh, Well, I was a rogue, so I took the egg and ran. (laughs) And then you didn't end up coming back, right? Because you're changing shift. No, because I ran away. Oh, oh! You ran from the your character just never came back. I don't remember at all that. It was um, a while ago. It was. Um, but anyway, so as far as what I would have them do to hatch, I, I really think you're right on point uh, there, Ian. I would take into consideration the type of the dragon. If it's a 
is it a blue dragon? Is lightning, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to get it somewhere where maybe, or take it outside during a lightning storm, you know? Yeah, shove a rod in the ground. Well, I didn't know blue dragons live, live in the desert, too, though, so. Do they? But uh, on the other hand, I wouldn't go asking around, because now these people are saying, oh, this guy might have a dragon egg, and you're going to get ambushed. <laughs> they're going to steal your shit? And they're going to get other people that are like... Do you have a dragon that could be dangerous? Destroy it, and yeah. now you got a bounty on your head. Well, I, I think I think you're on track. The big thing is is depending on the type would determine the condition needed to hatch it, right? Yep. Um, whether they knew that um, by some checks or they found somebody that can explain that to them, I think that would be the 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 first thing to just hatch it. And I would make that done by a series of checks, probably, um, and it would have to take a certain amount of time. Um, I would have to read more of the lore to better understand how long it takes a, yeah. a dragon's egg to hatch into a wormling. But and I mean, if all else fails, it is an egg. Just sit on it. <laughs> oh, Jesus, <laughs> um, not a bad idea, I suppose. You, you can try that, and maybe that's what they try. They just like big chickens, you know, sitting on top of it. Um, the other thing is, you know, once they have the dragon, how do they take care of it? Now, I'm under the impression that once a creature is born, it has no alignment. I truly believe that. I don't think, in, in, my, in my opinion, no creatures are innately evil or bad. Our monster manuals say they are, but I don't believe that. I don't think they're born evil. I think it's learned behavior, just like any other other creature. Yeah. How do you guys... <coughs> Racism. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe it is born evil. Be sure to make it not evil. <laughs> oh, there you go. Maybe if it's born a certain way and you try to change it to turn to your your way of thinking. Um, I think one of the more interesting things would be is what do you do to take care of it? Obviously, you have to feed it. What do dragons eat? Meat. Yes. Meat. So <laughs> you would have to get a lot of meat. You would have to train it, try to fly. I would assume. Um, I would. I would think that if I had oh, my players God. have this, I wouldn't let them. I believe it would take a long time for it to not only hatch, but to even grow. Oh, yeah. These, these things live for centuries. Man, if you have a dragon egg, you better be a very high level with a lot of money. Well, not not really. You you guys were level one when you found one. You just stumbled across it. Yeah, but I would never be able to afford to raise a baby dragon. That's right. There's another thing to consider cost. I would have been going from a neutral straight to chaotic evil because I'd be stealing everything. <laughs> it's like, why are you stealing my candlestick? I gotta feed my dragon! One thing that I think is um, would be very that I considered from a mechanic standpoint, I would have them constantly making checks to make sure they can raise it appropriately. But I also thought that I would have it progress with them. So uh, I've done campaigns where I've let my characters have dragons uh, as pets and ride them and have aerial combat, and I've done all that. So nice. for me, I would let them say like every five levels the thing would change. So at level one, it's an egg, and then through the progression. Um, let's say I'm following, uh, and I followed their level and their progress because in my campaign they fed off of them. The energy that the players got strong uh, filtered into these eggs. Nice. Um, so when they hit level five, they opened up and they couldn't do a whole lot with them, but they became uh, low level pets basically. Like every single one had a pet, and the hunter had two. Um, so at level eight, they became big enough to ride, and that's when they first started their aerial combats. So my entire leveling process was based off the power level of the characters and the amount of uh, magical items that they generated. So, for instance, um, one of the the uh, dragons would just eat magic items. 
That was how he got stronger. Another dragon got stronger by his mage constantly channeling fireball spells into him. You know, so they, there was a kind of uh, uh, like a a teamwork type thing going on. <laughs> I don't know how you want to yep. word that, but a symbiotic relationship. That yes, <laughs> make, make a fireball. Get, so there, a, get a Fido. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very symbiotic relationship, and so they form these bonds. And those dragons were very connected to the NPCs. So when they started out, you ever read the Aragon series? Yep. Very much the inspiration for that adventure. And that was the whole thing. So they, they started to share their powers and their experiences and all these different things. So there were some games where they would send their dragons off to do stuff and they would play as their dragons, which was cool. Um, so when it's it, fun. Yeah, it, it was. It was a lot of fun. That was a 40 game, I think. Um, and so... For raising them, I picked a unique way that wasn't really described how I should do it. So I just decided they would evolve with the players because they were going to stay in it. If that wasn't part of the campaign, I definitely would have hung up to something more like, well, it's going to take you forever to raise this thing because it's going to grow really slow. Because these things live for thousands of years. Right, right. In that case, it was tied to my character's progression, and I just had them make skill checks to raise them and stuff. Is there anything you guys would do differently? No, there's definitely one way to do it. You kind of heard some of our ideas and, you know, personal experience, uh, Michael. I kind of hope we address this question. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add to that? Oh, boy, my own little dragon. I shall name him George. <laughs> George. <laughs> and I shall hug him and pet him and feed him and water him and love him. <laughs> I hope we answered your question today. If we didn't, please uh, send an a email to the complaint department at another podcast. <laughs> you know, if you know, someone talking about hats or something like that and they get an email about D&D the hell's this <laughs> if you <laughs> if you are looking for inspiration uh, on how to raise one I highly recommend the Aragon series um, the book is really good you know it's about a boy and his raising finding a dragon egg and, and raising a dragon in the, the symbiotic relationship that they have read the books don't watch the movie <laughs> yeah movie was horrible but and if you you don't even have to read the book. If you head on over to audibletrial.com slash critacademy, you can get a free book and a 30-day free trial to give it a listen and build ideas on how to raise a dragon. Free stuff! Yes. <laughs> Hashtag free stuff. So we got a really fun episode uh, today. Uh, last week with uh, Luke, we kind of discussed the different types of puzzles. Today we're actually going to talk about how to build some of those puzzles. Now for this, this is actually going to be pretty straightforward. If you guys got ideas for types of puzzles that you've done or that are similar to this or things you think they could add to make it a little more complex sure. feel free to to jump in so you know when it comes to puzzles unless you have a particular fondness for this type of stuff um it's really creating puzzles is can be quite cha- challenging um i don't know if you guys ever have built your own puzzles but honestly i shamelessly just steal most of my sources um, you know, you can find shelves of books, you know, and magazines kind of all over the bookstores and the internet in, in massive amounts, right? Well, I suppose something you should take into account, too, when you make puzzles for your uh, games is how are you going to approach them? How do you want the players to solve them? Are you going to have them, the the characters themselves roll the skill checks or have the players themselves solve them? Some combination somewhere in the middle? Yeah, and, and you're right. There's a, uh, there's a, a fine line that really is sometimes testing the players versus testing the characters. And and let's face it, no matter how high your character's int is, he's only as smart as the player playing him. <laughs> that's true. Um, and we do resolve uh, 
we do. I do recommend that when you run into that where the players do have an issue, you can give them a skill skill check, then feed them little bits of information, which is kind of what I talked about with Luke last week. Right. We're going to talk first about you know riddles. You know, a lot of published riddles are very uh, specific to a location or a region or um, a, a specific culture in the area uh, culture that it's designed around. Right. Most puzzles and stuff, or most riddles that you can find, you you hear a lot that are in like kids' books and kids' stories. You know, growing up, that's where a lot of things you can find. A lot of these things, you can go to the local bookstore and go to the kids section. You can find little little riddles that really um, are for kids, but you can alter just a few little things in them. Now, a lot of these examples, uh, there wasn't a puzzle creation section in the D and D five E book, so a lot of the content we're pulling is from uh, samples are right out of the DMG for four E. That's the source that I got a lot of this, if you want to read more about it. You know, the example that we have here is a very classic Sphinx riddle is, what goes on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening? A chimp. A chimp? Excellent point. Yes, yes, that does apply. You know, this riddle is well known enough that you, I wouldn't recommend using it for, like, your adventures, right? It's a pretty common one, but... <laughs> You know, you, all you have to do is fundamentally change a few things. What's wrong? <laughs> I think you just want to use the third leg. <laughs> so anyways, uh, in this example, uh, we can change a few things. Uh, one, the metaphor, which basically is representative of time of day, right? And uh, the idea is about the varying numbers of legs in the metaphor, so we can easily change these up a little bit to disguise it, right? In the spring, four pillars hold me up, a shining dome above the earth. In summer, two pillars support me, a doorway into mystery. In autumn, three pillars stand beneath me, a temple of the bright city. In winter, my pillars crumble to dust, a ruin of ancient glory. That, that's a... Those are good metaphors. You like that? Yeah. Now, this is the exact same riddle as the one we just I just read a second ago. The only difference is a few things changed, right? Um, the answer is still the same. It's a person, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly the same. The the you know it, we talk about the morning uh, and the af- evening and the afternoon representative of the stages of life. So we change the morning, which represents the infant, right? The infantile when you're crawling on all fours. We talk about how they walk on two legs, representative of the evening, which is the prime of their life. And then we uh, use, we talk about the... The, uh, the elderly use, use a cane. Yeah, the elderly use a cane uh, at, at old age, which represents the three pillars. So I- instead of just outright mentioning legs, right, we switch the metaphor of the pillars, and then we add a different metaphor for the person at each stage. In this case, we used... The seasons. The seasons. Now, there's more than a season... Than there is the time stages of life. Added winter. Winter is coming. Good, good resemblance of death. Yes, and that was that's where I was going because there was that wasn't in the first one, right? You know the we the added a winter is desolate and 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 cold and like your corpse. So that's why why that's in there. We just took a common riddle found out of a baby's book and were able to do what with it? Change it, make it more epic. If it the the world, right? Yep. That's something you can expect to find in the D&D world. I've made one myself using metaphors two a while ago. I am one universe, 
But if I fall, I'll become hundreds of universes. What am I? I was going to say, you got to finish it. What, like, can... like, like, we got vase, glass, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a mirror. Yeah. That's really good. Like a boss. I used this a long time ago when I tried DMing the first time. Okay. That was a good one. And uh, this is also when you were an inexperienced DM. And I wasn't good. You can say it. And, you, okay. were, and you weren't good. And you I sucked and, and he said that, oh, what was it? Make players use use the dice. Make make the dice make the decisions, not the players. Yes. I was like, oh, I spent time on that. <laughs> <laughs> and then later we got the new concept that if they don't get it, then you can give that that option of using die. Right, right. The next type of puzzle uh, we're we're gonna kind of d- help talk about. And I know we kind of talked about how to build this in the last episode. I'll probably just cut that out. Is uh, cryptograms <laughs> now? In my opinion, these are the f- most e- the easiest puzzles to make. They're super simple. Basically, you write out the alphabet, right? Yep. And then you write the alphabet below it, starting with a different number. So or a letter, uh, yeah. huh? Or letter, or letter, or symbol. Um, actually, what I recommend in the DMG or in the player's handbook, there is script for the alphabet for Eng- dwarf, elf, and draconic is one of them. Draconic, yeah. And so you can easily write out your alphabet and not only change the script, but then shift it to make it a cryptogram. So instead of starting with A, you might start with, you know, F. And F becomes A, right? Yep. And then G becomes B and so forth and so on. It's a very simple idea. It's not very complex. Um, If you're going to use any, this is a good thing to do. I like to put these together as notes. I've used them as um, uh, notes going between, like, kings, or going between two thieves guilds, or uh, messages, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're they've got a hidden decipher. Now you can easily hide the key somewhere so they find it, or they find a person who has the key and they beat it out of them until they get it, or they bribe them and he gives it to them. So this is a pretty easy one. That <laughs> there's no reason why you couldn't add this to any game you're running at any time if you like puzzles. What's really cool, um, if you've got a person that has one of those other languages, like I, I use Draconic, and that one, no, only one person had Draconic. So not only did, because uh, they, otherwise they would have had to figure out that it was in Dr- that, uh, what Dr- the Draconic messages was, right? So once they deciphered it from Draconic, it would still be mixed up. Right. Well, for the person that spoke Draconic, said, oh, you speak Draconic. Here's the alphabet key. Yay! I'm useful now! <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was the whole point. I gave him the key. So that was actually half the battle. If they didn't have a draconic person, it would have been that much more complex. Instead now, okay, he says, this doesn't make any sense to me. Because when he changed it, he's like, it doesn't, it, I don't know what this says. It must be coded. So that can be a really fun one. It's really great for like Thieves Guild type stuff and secret do- going ons between kings. What would you guys use something like that for? Oh, let's see here. Proprietary messages between not just these guilds, but maybe established economic guilds. Like a, like a merchant's guild? Of course. Oh, very cool. Talk about maybe business doings. Yep. Maybe planning a new merger, trying to keep it secret. Cryptogram. Those are super simple to make. Word searches and crossword puzzles. Ah. Uh, you know. God. My Bayon school. Yeah, yeah, they're a nightmare. You might have a hard time finding a good uh, pre-written one, uh, pre-made one that's really relevant to the world of D&D, but luckily, um, word searches, they're also pretty easy to construct if you know what it is you're going for. I'm sure there's generations you can find online for that, too. Oh, I'm sure there is. I, I didn't even think to look, Yeah, though. I'm getting really pissed off those stupid word searches you find on Facebook. <laughs> the first word you find describes what you are. The first word is douche. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, in order to make a good uh, word search, you really just want to start off with a blank grid. That's probably the easiest thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then you're going to want to pick, uh, write out a couple words that are key to whatever the theme is you're going for. So one of the things you can do, um, once you've got a grid, you have to decide, make sure the grid or isn't smaller than some of the words you're going to use, <laughs> <laughs> and write a theme. So uh, a good theme might be in like a, a fighter temple, right? Like maybe have like, throw in some like fake words, mm-hmm. but the real words are spelled backwards. Ooh, specific. that's nice. I like that. That's evil. You're an evil genius. <laughs> <laughs> so for instance, if you're in a temple you might i think we use the the comparison of gemstones uh when i talked with luke about uh the different the examples we gave um you might have the maybe you're in a temple that's a treasure to a dwarven merchant king or something right and so there's stuff scribbled on uh, a tome or on a tomb that's all in these scripts and you the key to figuring out how to get in might be tied to the names of different gems since that's what he specialized in so diamonds opals rupees those words might be the ones in your little word puzzle then like ian said you can go in and once you've got all those written down you can fill in random spots with either random words or just random letters or scripts uh for your uh puzzles that's a that's a pretty uh simple one um i've i've actually used this one for a uh combination to get into uh a big door you know they y'all go to the thieves guild and they say what is the password right you ever been to one of those where they slide the little eye key open and say, what do you want? What you want? And they say, we want to come in. And he shuts it because that's not the right password. The password is, I have a mall. <laughs> I have a mall. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, what I ended up doing is separating, putting these little um, posters, right? Like, uh, like wanted posters. Except they were strategic ones that aren't really for wanted people. What they are are little um, word puzzles, script words, that had hidden words in them. Once they found the word, they went to the three different locations where they were at and then got the combination of words, which was like um, something along the lines like uh, itchy dragon hole or something stupid. <laughs> it was something really stupid. Um, Donkey balls. But that was that was the password to get into the Sleeves Guild. Um, and it What's changed. The password? I don't know. Welcome. <laughs> Wait, really? Was that it? You know, that was a really simple way, but it was something that changed often. So when they would go back and it was different, they would have to play this game again to go find uh, what the password was. For crossword puzzle, it's very similar, except you black out some of the squares. Um, and you pose questions to fill them in. It's not really any harder. <laughs> Sudoku. <laughs> <laughs> Logic puzzles are my favorite kind of puzzle. Sure. For obvious reasons. They, pre- they present the biggest challenges. So how do you build a logic puzzle? Is that something that can be easily built? I would say of all the puzzles, it's likely the hardest. But the coolest. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, these are pretty you know, easy to steal and adapt um, as well. Um, the... Have you ever there's there's an old puzzle you may have come across which uh, it's about where you have to match three children with the color of their shirts and their favorite fruit, right? Yep. You can tra- translate each child into one of Emperor Darwin's sons from that example, right? Each color 
<laughs> of their shirt can just become a weapon that they're carrying. In this case, legendary swords. And each fruit can represent a crypt that they're in. So this young child puzzle is now become... Morbid. <laughs> yeah, very morbid. And very, very different. And the trick for that is really translating the clues into something meaningful. Sure. Right? In this case, you know, talking about the right, the, the, the Death Chills Blade um, has never... Or slew an orc. And the Knight's Embrace was untainted by bl- the blood. That was their clue to saying that this did not kill whoever the ro- ro- royal that was killed was. So having being able to translate some of those puzzles is pretty important, don't you think? Yeah. Is there any? Have you guys? Can you guys think of any examples that we could work with? Uh, work off of? I need, you, I need you to imagine that you are in a boat in the middle of the ocean. I am in a boat in the middle of the ocean. All right. That's one. That's one. Right. It's no oars. No oars. You, you, you can't. You can't row. Can't row. Can't get around. And there's sharks all around you in the water. Am I alone in the boat? Yes, it's just you. Do I have any other supplies? No, because the theory of the logic is I should be able to... I'm on a boat. Am I in the water? You're on a boat. Doesn't mean I'm in the water. In the water in the middle of the ocean, yes. Okay. Do you have any idea? What's the best way to survive? I feel like this is going to have a really cheeky, stupid answer to it. (laughs) It does. I don't have an answer, do you? It's a shark. Oh, that's a good choice. It's sharks. Yeah, sure. Dive in. Go ahead. Try to kill one. What is the answer? Stop imagining it. <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> uh, so, fundamentally, you know, basically each clue in a logic puzzle amounts to a fact. That's what you need. It Object A is not connected to object 2. Whether A is a crypt or 2 is a fruit, or a fruit and 2 is a sword, or a color. It doesn't really matter. Sometimes a puzzle uses a positive uh, assertion instead. Object A is connected to object 2. But that makes the puzzle too simple, right? So that's why you need to throw in other options to really change it. If you boil it down the clues to your examples uh, down in that form, it gets a little easier to translate. They're very, they're very... They can be fun, but they can be challenging for the DM as well as the players. The real fun of a logic puzzle really is presented in uh, is how you present it in your picture uh, in your adventure. Unlike a puzzle you find in a magazine, the clues don't have to be presented neatly and arranged in a particular order. Using those in this case to structure like a mystery adventure, or in this case, you know, revealing a killer is a good way to do that. Is there anywhere in the DMG or Player's Guide or anything that talks about puzzles? Not really. Um, it's very vague. Um, our source is right from 4E because that's where I go when I need puzzles. Um, they got a lot of good examples for stuff like that and skill challenges. So since that's what I have the most experience with, that's what I went with. But I know there's a lot of other content in other games, not just D&D, but other you know, mutants and masterminds, I'm sure, has uh, stuff like that as well. You know what? I actually did like the skill challenges quite a bit in 4E. Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing I do think is that puzzles are the best time to use props. Mm-hmm. There is no better time than giving out props near a puzzle, even if it's just a riddle and you're giving them a, a sheet of paper to look at. Um, Here's a Rubik's Cube. Yes. <laughs> Dear God, I hate those. Here's a Master Lock and a Lock Picking Kit. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to go play Final <laughs> Fantasy. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, remember one time for my. Uh, bur- for all my birthday, a friend of mine gave me like a three D maze that had like a, a metal bead in it, mm-hmm. and inside the puzzle was a twenty dollar bill. <laughs> oh, that's a dick move. 
Actually, I solved it in two minutes, to his complete surprise. I hate you. I had a Rubik's Cube that I could never solve until I broke it apart and reassembled it in the right way. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I'll admit, I could never solve Rubik's Cubes either, but what he did not know is I love mazes. Uh, I cracked those pretty quick. Yeah, I would cool. admit. You'd come by the next day and be like, I got the $20. $20. Really? You figured out the puzzle? No, I used a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, I, I if if you're going to introduce props at any time, puzzles are the best time. It gives you something to, to hand to the player, something for them to hold on, to turn around, pass around the table, to really get involved with whatever it is you're looking at. Actually, I kind of wanted to touch on the fact that you talked about um, skill challenges. I, I, I loved 4E skill challenges. I think they were great, um, and I'm glad... That you brought it up because... Actually, my second group, they're like the one thing we could never succeed at. Skill challenges? We were great at everything else, but the moment the skill challenges came up, our dice failed us. Every time. <laughs> if you're not super into uh, writing out puzzles or something, but you still want to get that experience across, I recommend looking at the 4E strategy. Um, I got an example here right from their DMG, the DM, 4E DMG that we're going to kind of discuss a little bit. Um, and we're going to talk how it uses roles 100% to solve it, not the players. So this one says, A voice flowed out of the statue. A cold, distant sound. What are the four virtues of Keblor Kest? Answer now, before time runs out. That's pretty simple. So in 4E, they would have you make so many checks. In this case, you, they got a complexity where you need four successes before two failures. So you would have... All right, so Ian gives me a dice roll. Um, he's going to use an Arcana check. He succeeds. So then this, this answer here is, you call upon your knowledge of magical lore to remember one of the four virtues. The virtue is patience. Yeah, yeah, patience. How long does that take? <laughs> and then Brandon gives us a roll um, and he specializes in history and he succeeds you call upon your knowledge of history to remember some forgotten bit of information pertaining to the four virtues of Kevlar Kest you learn the virtue of acceptance so let's say uh, Ryan is here and he rolls and he fails. You can't really recall anything of even anything about the Keblors. You don't really have any idea who they are. And so in in 4E, they had you roll in in this case the DM gives you the answer once your roll is, but he tells it how it's tied to whatever skill check you use, right? So I do recommend taking a look if that's something you would rather do. It's a little easier to do and a lot less work than building a puzzle. By just giving a question and then knowing the answers and feeding them the answers when they roll. But I think if you're going to do something like that, it's imperative that you somehow tie the reasoning of why they would know that from whatever skill check they provide. Right. That is our main topic today, um, how to design puzzles. It's not easy. Uh, in the long run, I'm just going to say, copy other ones and reword them. <laughs> Reskin them. Yep. That's the easiest thing you can do. But we gave you a little pointers if you want. Um, <laughs> you can get that one player's like, that's plagiarism! Who cares? Before we move on to our owner tips and tricks, we'd like to take a moment to thank our fellowship member, Lore Smith. All of Crit Nation has a chance to win another wonderful prize. Each episode, we draw a lucky subscriber's name to win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. Sponsors? Sponsors. Sponsors. Lore Smith. Lore Smith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring their realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. 
They what? set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that push them to the, create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one you don't want to miss. This week's winner is Eisenkraut. 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 He's not going to like us anymore because we're making fun of his name. Because <laughs> he might actually be German and be like, oh, sorry. That's the time you not. say that in German. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Congratulations, Eisenkraut. Ger- from Germany. Mad props. Rammstein is one of my favorite bands. You know what probably pisses them off is the only people that band people can name is Ramstein. They're like, why do they only say Ramstein? There's so much better bands than Ramstein. Because we're Americans and anything past our borders is like blocked off. I swear it is. (laughs) It's like Um, like there's a wall there or something. (laughs) 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 That's so funny. Oh, God. Oh, oh shit. They're just saying, Americans, you stupid fools. Um, Alright, so moving on to our favorite segment, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks. Our first one is our character concept, The Escaping Slave. Oh, I've done that one a few times. There's an exclamation point. He's born into servitude by a very mean person. A villain of sorts. Maybe forced into it to pay for the parents' debt. Those cheapskates. Do you ever watch Roroni Kenshin? Yeah. Of course I watch Roroni Kenshin. <laughs> um, ya- ya- is it Yahiko? That's what happened to him. Yeah. His father was in debt and died, so he ended up being sold into servitude to pay off his dad's debt. <sighs> what a dick. Yeah. Well, it wasn't his dad's fault, I think. It was because he owed the money to the Yakuza. Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's basically, like gambling problem there. Yeah, basically, you know, you have this character. Maybe you know, in, the, in Yahiko's case, he's a great example. It's not his fault. He's he's in this situation. The hell, damn yeah. chambers. So it's likely, you know, maybe they were tortured a lot. You know, maybe they were beaten beaten regularly. On their cousin duress. Yeah. Wash those dishes. Wash. Uh, Wash. I saw him as. I did do it again. <laughs> Uh, this character, you know, uh, has been suffering and beaten and, you know, they finally have had it for whatever reason they choose to escape. Knowing that they can't probably stop the pursuers, maybe, maybe the person that owns them is a very wealthy noble and, you know, they they have they choose to have somebody sent after them and hunt them down to bring them back to prove to prove a point can't stop laughing. They they take up the goal of becoming an adventurer so that they can not be the weakling that who's beat on to be able to defend themselves and depending on why they're in servitude get revenge he comes back like some bitch <laughs> I'm about to blow your ass up can you imagine that like your slave coming back blowing fucking fireballs out their hands and shit yeah get back the slave or I'll call the brute squad you I'm on the brute squad <laughs> <laughs> I am the brute squad <laughs> There's so many different ways the character can go once they are escaped. What are their motivations? Are they going to come back? Maybe they want to go back and free somebody that they know, their best friend, you know, Jamal or something, you know? <laughs> Great. When he leaves, all this stuff that's happened to him might throw him into being a evil. Oh, yeah. Now, there's something I want to kind of touch on. We're going to do a show about alignments, but chaotic evil or even lawful evil doesn't mean kill hobo everything. No. Nope. Um, and actually, but, one of my lead characters is a lawful evil, and he's... Yes, he's killed, but mostly stuff that try to kill him. Yeah, but all the heroes are killers, too. Yep. It just depends on why you're killing somebody. We had a very good episode on villains where we talked about, you know, the main villain might not know he's a villain. It's he's doing whatever he can to uh, cure his wife from dying or stopping her from dying or something like that. So bringing her back to life. 
Actually, kind of on that same same note, I remember a friend of mine once asked a, a very experienced GM, okay, I want to, just for fun, run an evil campaign, an evil party, but I want to make sure my players are familiar enough with the whole thing so they don't kill each other, so what advice do you have to get? And said, so, like, here you go, hands in my book, The History of the Nazi Party. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, so that is our character concept somewhere in there, the escaping slave. <laughs> Alright, this week's monster variant is Ooh. the Blazing Centaur. No, that, that's fire, not pot. Well, maybe he smells like weed. Because <laughs> he is burning up grass when he walks, I imagine. <laughs> mm. I mean, you're half man, half horse, why not throw fire in there while you're at? I know, right? Alright. And some of the features that the Slaving Centaur has is obviously he's based off a regular centaur, only well, with fire. Obviously. And some features include he has a aura of fire. And mechanically, the way that works is, at the beginning of each of his turns, each creature within 5 feet takes a 3, or 1d4 fire damage, and flammable objects in the era that aren't being worn or carried ignite. Boom, baby. Kaboom. A creature that touches the blazing centaur or hits it with a melee weapon within 5 feet takes 3 or 1d4 fire damage. Nice. Ugh. Oh, um, and this thing also has this thing called the Hellish Resistance, because I guess this thing's from hell, because why not? Why not? It resists fire damage. Mm, tieflings have that. That's exactly where it came from. <laughs> yeah. You also have the Hellish Hooves, and any hoof attacks that it does does fire damage on top of the, the bludgeoning. Two for what? Can't argue with that. It's a twofer. And last, most of them, not least, Blazing Rush. Whenever this creature uses charge, which is a feat for, for some reason in this edition, doesn't It's matter. a feature of the uh, centaur, though. Yeah. The ground beneath it is left scorching, creating hazardous terrain. Any creature who enters a scorched trail or starts inside it takes... Really? That's it? Only three or 1d4 fire damage? Well, do you know what CR rating a centaur is? Nope. Like two. Gadget. So, you had to keep the damage minimal because it already pushes it to a three CR rating with the damage that's on there. So, I'm just making fun of it. Yeah, so I actually, when I built this, I came up with the idea. I was like, man, what if Nightmare, the flying flaming horse, was a centaur? Mm. And that was the inspiration for that. It was very much a a nightmare-ish build on my centaur. I like all the basics in for all the monsters in 5e. But I loved 4E because it gave so many different powers. And so I try to do that, adding a few features to my monsters to kind of give them a little bit more of an oomph. Uh, in this case, a burning aura is a way to engage him into a larger party without having to have too many other monsters. Random question for you. If a centaur becomes a cavalier, does he get himself as the horse? <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> maybe? I don't really know. I like to kind of discuss what we what we could do in combat with this. I think the Blazing Rush, as he's charging people around the uh, area, it's leaving a blazing trail that creates hostile terrain for combat. Great, now I want coconuts. Oh, that's so much better than mine. What kind of engagement can you guys imagine out of something like this? Running? <laughs> <laughs> An open battlefield where the enemy forces uses these things to control the battlefield and create hazards for the opposing army. So, like, running around in circles around them or something like that and creating, like, a blockade of fire? Yeah. 
That's cool. So that is our monster variant <laughs> of the podcast, the Blazing Centaur. Welcome, Duke. It's good to have you. It's good to be back. Today's podcast encounter is called Face Huggers. Hmm. The wretched space creatures. But this is for D and D, so the nods from space. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Rumors are spreading that anyone who visits the old abandoned wizard's tower outside of the town have been leaving town unexpectedly, with no word of family or friends, not even taking any of their belongings. Upon investigation of the old tower, the heroes discover the place is clearly a complex laboratory. Full of small canisters, some with busted or broken lids, others still sealed. When a character gets close to the containers, an intellect devourer is released and attacks the nearest person with body thief skills. That's the name of the ability they have. Body thief skill, yeah. It's an ability. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, those who have left town likely were not in control of themselves. The people's bodies were taken off by the intellect devourers. Hail to the king, baby. So what do you guys think about this setup? I dig it. Yeah. It sounds dangerous. I really enjoy this because um, it really is reminiscent of Aliens. That's basically the idea that you gave, gave me. Yeah, I love Aliens. Aliens is a great movie. You know, the heroes wander into town and, you know, people are just disappearing. Nobody knows where they're going, but they're not finding any bodies or anything, right? You know, they visit up this, they visit up to this tower, these little things jump in and, and take over their bodies, and they just walk away and leave. <laughs> I mean, I imagine that that would be pretty. The fuck was that? What do you got? What would you guys think about that as the adventurers? <laughs> the fear of being bite, Jack, would be kind of, kind of freaky. Well, you wouldn't know until it already happened, though, right? Or if it tries to. Yeah. Well, yeah. If they, it fails um, to take over, you got to deal with it. Something scurrying around the ground. Are you conscious and aware when these things take control? Mm-hmm. So they can walk off a cliff, and you would yeah, s- you feel would it and seal it, and You'd die. and be like, no, no, no. Ah! <laughs> like, oh, that's creepy as hell, dude. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, like Vegeta when he's fighting Goku in a bridge, and then he's doing the Gallic Gallic blast against uh, Goku, and he's no, 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 fuck! Yeah, this is a really good encounter if you want a really creepy thing. You can toss it to any town that they're just wandering through. Poo poo. <laughs> Where'd they go? I'll tell you where they're not. <laughs> Safe. <laughs> <laughs> that is our encounter of the podcast the face huggers our magic idea of the podcast is the circlet of suffering now this actual idea uh, i posted to you two and luke in a, a comment and said hey come up with some magic items so this is actually the one he came up with a circlet made of obsidian encrusted with small blood red gems and a single large purple gem in the front when this circle is placed upon a creature's head they must make a dc wisdom saving throw of 13. On a failed save, the creature enters a dreamlike illusion. During the illusion, the creature suffers its worst nightmares, the most horrific, fear-ridden experience the creature can imagine. Wearing the circlet for one minute means one day of non-stop torment to them. A creature who wears the circlet suffers two levels of exhaustion when the circlet is removed. Once removed, or if the creature succeeds at saving throw, it is immune to the effects of the circlet for a 10 day. 72 hours of torture begins now. Yeah, that's. that's Screw up. that. Who it's came up with this item? Luke. 
That poor guy. It's a magic item <laughs> that's used for torture. Works for me. Could you could you imagine that just doing it to him once for like ten minutes? I mean, that's crazy. What what if it was just a, it says circlet of suffering. What if it's just some circlet in some random shop that someone just tries on? Yeah, that would, that and would suck. And they're sitting, sitting there staring. Their just, eyes all big and shit. Just staring off in some direction for an hour. Just sitting there. Someone just comes by and says, you okay? They aren't going to move. They're going to be completely unaware. Say, well, here, let me take this off. They take it off and they just fall to the ground crying. Oh, my God! Yeah, that would be a nightmare. You're in my world now. Yeah, I mean, in the I mean, can you imagine either the characters getting this, but this being used on the characters? If you've got any knowledge of what that character is fearful of, or something in their past that they did and they regret and reliving that moment, I mean, I really feel like this could bring out uh, some good story in each individual character involved in it. I don't imagine too many heroes would use this against <laughs> somebody. But there's a lot of dickheaded players out there. But, but say, I think you underestimate a lot of players out there. That's true. That's true. I would say this is closer to a cor- uh, this torture device is closer to a, a, a cursed item than a regular magical item. But it can really be used to get almost whatever information you need. It reminded me very much of uh, you watch Naruto, the guy that locks people in with his eyes. So new hours of torture begins now. Yeah, it's devious. Yeah, I mean, because think about it. If Brandon picks this item up and says, oh, this is cool, and puts it on, and he just stops moving, even if you don't do anything for just a minute and you pull it off, he'd been tortured for a day. How would that affect his character? It'd screw him up pretty good. Or if he's... I I love the maybe a rogue who's been sneaking around and pockets treasure and steals that. Oh, that would be a hell of a surprise. That's a way to torture those rogues who steal from their players. (laughs) <laughs> they had something like that on uh, the Slayers. Did they? The, the anime. Because she stole all that loot and she was trying to sell it. And she she gave the knife to uh, the merchant and pulled it out and it made him go crazy and try to kill her. Oh, snap. That's awesome. So they knocked him out and said, okay, so the knife is cursed. Let's not use that. <laughs> <laughs> that is our magic item of the podcast. The Circlet of Suffering. How about that Dungeon Master tip? Just the tip. <laughs> Puzzles and props. That's today's topic. Yes. Puzzles and adventures are a great opportunity for props. Oh, let's remember that. Didn't we just talk about this? We did, but I forgot it was the Dungeon Master tip, oh. so now you gotta go yeah. through and, each, yeah. and even just the Averill I'm in paper to hand out, that's something to play around with. Give them something to hold, to look at, to pass around the table. Unlike them... AIDS. Oh my god. Unlike AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like herpes. We go everywhere. <laughs> oh my god. Can we use actual puzzles as props? Puzzle boxes, <laughs> tangrams, or even jigsaw puzzles. Apparently, you can get blank jigsaw puzzles. You can put your own designs and stuff on it. Yeah, that's so, pretty cool. That sounds pretty fun. You can do a little maps on them. Oh, that's a good idea. What's draw, that? Drawing maps on a large puzzle. Oh, that is a good idea. Tell me more. Ooh, draw mazes on a blank puzzle. Ooh. Oh, what okay. would you do with maps <laughs> on a <harsh>. puzzle? <laughs> okay, so you got a map of this. Uh, this area, and there's a certain place in this area that has a unique buried item that you have to retrieve. Mm-hmm. And now you can't just go out and look for it. You have to spend all this time trying to put together this damn puzzle so you can find it. Yeah. On the other hand, it could also pass a little bit of time and engage the players more. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Yeah. Actually, or- use that little organ in your head called a brain that some people seem to forget about here and there. <laughs> 
and you mentioned earlier about the child's to- the, the toy you had, you know, with the, like, the, would you say something about a little ball? And a, yeah, the 3D Amazing. Yeah, you know, stuff like that could be really good uh, good ways to distract and, and, and toss into a game. Great. Now I'm wondering where that thing is. You're so awesome! <laughs> so, yeah, you can handle it and say, you know, this, you get this crystal orb with a replica of the maze. So maybe if they can solve that, they've got, uh, it's representative of a map into the maze they're going into. That could be pretty cool. I have something yeah. like that called a perplexus. It's a, it's a clear orb like this, and it's got a 3D puzzle on the inside. Like those old Labyrinth games that were uh-huh. just a piece of wood, and they had holes in them, and mm-hmm. you had to move the marble around. It's the same concept, but you have to constantly move the ball around. See, so. that sounds like it would be a really cool... Can you imagine getting something like that and say, okay, this is a miniaturized representation of the maze you're going into. Give the player so much time to exp- to play with it, and if they solve it in that time limit... You can just basically say they can skate through it and get right through the puzzle. I just thought about something evil. What's that? Take a Rubik's Cube, draw a map on each side, and the cube controls the shape of the dungeon as you adjust this. Oh, that is awesome. Oh, man. That is baller. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that perplexus that I was telling you about, uh, for every corner that you turn, it is numbered. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like this is one, two... Three, four. Okay. And you keep going through, and it's labeled one to a hundred. There's one hundred different spots in the entire ball. You can make it so that get, get a list of bad things or encounters that you can write down. Wherever they fall off, what number that's on is what happens in the, in the maze. Oh, I love that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that idea. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Wait, that's that's a good idea too. Yeah, those that, both that those really both good. those ideas are really really good. So. Um, definitely, if you guys come, uh, let, you guys out there, if you guys come up with good ways to use these, or you do use them, let us know. Cause I'd love to see how that goes. I'm stealing the Rubik's cube one though for adventure I'm running right now. So. Yeah, that's an amazing. And idea. they can only make an adjustment once every time they go to a different room. So you couldn't even could you back could you could, you could backtrack though, right? Nope. Because it would it would change the dungeon if you backtrack. Oh shit! That's got so many, so much. Oh man, I don't even know what now, to do with that. Now there, there's a question there too. Is you have three rows on the Rubik's Cube, right? Yeah. Let's say they want to move just the middle one, but in order to move the middle one, you have to move that outside one, too. Are you permitted to move that outside one back just to move the middle, or does it move the entire thing? I would say it moved the whole thing, wouldn't it? Mm. I don't know. That's what we got to think about. I like that idea, though. That is our uh, Dungeon Master tip of the podcast. Use props with your puzzles. Our funny. player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a dick! dick. In other words, don't do the podcast. Don't cheat. Oh my! Don't change your die roll values, you son of a bitch, prick! Stop doing that. We have people that do this, Um, and it's sad. Uh, You know, when you're when you're (laughs) cheat when you're rolling your dice and changing it, I'm gonna be honest. The DM knows because we know when a player is getting above average rolls all the time. If you play with with a character enough, you know what their numbers are. Yeah, and. Statistically, you should get a roll low number at some point, and then you don't. What happens instead? You're not playing the same game as everybody else. I don't feel like you are anyway. No, because you're you're not a god. You're supposed (laughs) to have chance of failure, and failure doesn't necessarily mean bad things. But if you engage it, it can be just as exciting. Mm -hmm. But your cheating is leveraging the game in your favor, and you know that's not fair to everybody else. You know, and I'm not just talking about rolling your die values. There's other things that happen that we don't pay attention to uh, as often, like subtracting your own current tracking your own HP. Sometimes you might take away five instead of the seven you got hit for. 
or don't do that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've been on to you all night. I've been tracking your HP for you. Your character just died. Get the hell out of here. I track HP. Um, yeah, not for this reason, but. <sighs> It definitely helps minimize that. But that's one example of the pe- yeah. way people cheat, you know? Um, uh, I think a more common way, and I don't think this is out of... I don't think they usually plan this, but people who play spellcasters that are supposed to prepare their spells, and they don't, and they just pick whatever they need at the time. Hear that, wizard? Yeah, we know it's you. We know you're listening. <laughs> we know you do this. Don't do this. This is... You're supposed to... The whole point of playing those prepared spells is, what do I think I need for the day? Because to me, that's part of the strategy. If I know I'm going into a fire dungeon, I might not pick fire spells, you know? And hey, <laughs> if you don't prepare spells, don't play a wizard. Play a sorcerer or a warlock. Yeah. Work, Nero, work. Nero, Nero, your, well, they still have to prepare their spells. Y- yeah, they but just they have, have access to all of them. Yeah, they have the full list. Yeah. And adding spell slots. Don't, don't add extra stuff to your things, because... There's lots of spells out there that get stronger when you dump them into additional spell slots. Well, bigger spell slots, I think, is. But yeah, is you're it, right. Yeah. Well, as you're a sorcerer, but that's kind of half their shtick. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, all of them do that. You know, people. If you've only got you know four first level and two second level, and you know maybe the day rolls over and we come back another day, and you all of a sudden gained one extra spell slot, you know that adds up. Your character is supposed to be as a wizard. You're supposed to be back end loaded, where you're not indestructible early on, but you get all your stuff back, and you're supposed to be limited to, you know, spells and slots for a reason. Deal with it. Use your cantrips. Suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> At least you have cantrips in this edition. Yeah, I know, right? You didn't used to have infinite use. Well, you had cantrips in, like, 3-5, but it wasn't infinite use. There were zero-level spells, but... And they weren't that good in comparison. No, they weren't, so... <laughs> that, that is our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a dick. dick. We hope you've enjoyed your experience here at Crit Academy. If you have any feedback on our tips and tricks or topics you would like us to discuss, please share them with us. You can contact us at critacademy at gmail.com or find us on the Twitter or in Facebook at Crit Academy. You can help others find the show by hopefully leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Also, be sure to give us a like and a share. Please join us on the next episode when we hear some feedback from our heroes. We will discuss some additional combat options. <laughs> so, you, you sound like a Canadian hick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got us our guns here, eh? <laughs> <sighs> Holy shit. Listen, my friends. Make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com so that we may help you on your future adventures, as well as have a chance to win wonderful prizes each and every week. You will also find links to our fellowship members there as well. I am your host, Justin. And I am your guest, Brandon. And I'm your other guest, Ian. Thank you, come again. (laughs) Man, this show's gonna get flagged. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your blade sharp and your spells prepared. I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of gum. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress 
Pass to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.